Awakened from torpor at last, it's V'ger, please. A heinous trip at Warp 5. My name is Joseph. And I'm your treacherous co-host, Peter. Peter, I am just filled with anticipation as to exactly how you're going to characterize this episode from by merely introducing what we watched this week. So, please tell me, what is it that we viewed so that we might review it for our fans across the world? Why, we watched the very first good episode of Star Trek Enterprise Season (gasps) 2, Ceasefire. You said it! You 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 used its true name, <laughs> like it earned it back. Absolutely, season two, episode fifteen. This came out February twelfth, two thousand three. A little uh, early Valentine's Day present to the six people still watching Enterprise at this point. Written by Chris Black, directed by David Strighton. Chris Black, you know, there's some old names that we've talked about heavily because of their deep involvement with Voyager, specifically David Livingston, uh, Phyllis Strong, Mike Sussman, who I was unaware that they're actually co-producers of Enterprise at this point. Oh, okay. That makes a lot of sense why we keep seeing them. Chris Black, though, 14 credits writing as uh, Enterprise, and he's going to go on to become a supervising producer later on. To this guy's credit, Rogue Planet, which good premise, crappy delivery. Fallen Hero, which I didn't really super care for, but I thought we got some pretty decent Vulcan world building, right? Mm-hmm. Two Days and Two Nights, meh. Carbon Creek, surprisingly okay. Again, a strong entry into Vulcan. Singular. Yeah, not, a, not a terrible episode, just really bizarre placement in the, in the canon. Singularity, which uh, was that the annoying craziness yeah that was the one where they're getting close to the the black hole and they all start being really bitchy so that one's one's a super miss uh but now here we are at ceasefire and i feel like star trek enterprise has finally showed up to work sober in tv (laughs) land for the first time in half a season it's been it's been a long a road. long road yeah my wife <laughs> by the way the fact that she knows the fucking song just from like the intro music that plays when i cue it up not the actual full introduction but like there's a little segment that plays on mm-hmm. the menu select um and she's not happy she knows the words but <laughs> yeah I'll, i they, I'll bait her into it. We'll be driving. I'll be like, oh, it's been a long, it's been a long. And I see instantly like the disdain in her mouth. Like she like, <laughs> spits the words. I like such a bad song. I'm like, yeah, well, you should listen to the good version on our podcast. The the fact that we are more than halfway through this season. We are. We have waded through some of the biggest turkeys you and I have ever watched to finally get to a spot where like enterprise figured out, Oh, this is what the show's actually supposed to be about. Holy shit. This is that. This is the, the story that sold everyone on the prospect of doing the show to begin with. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, turns out this is pretty fucking good. <laughs> Did they 
take this long to figure out that's what the show is? Or is that just the fucking hubris, the sheer fucking hubris of the executive producers? Like <clears throat> you take uh, e- electronic dance music, EDM, right? And you're waiting for the beat to drop and it just drags yeah. out way too long. You're like, come on, man, just drop the fucking beat already. I almost feel like that's what this season is like. We know what you want. We know what works, but we're going to make you slog through so much dog shit under the assumption that, hey, you're all still going to be here 15 fucking episodes into season two when we finally get around to going anywhere near what you signed up for. Right. They they knew this is the formula. The best episodes of season one were attached to this formula in one way or another. And not just talking about Shran, although that's a big part of it, but they know what the sauce is and they didn't bother to touch it from the season premiere to episode 15. Not once, not one fucking time. I don't know if that's hubris. I don't know if that's that's malfeasance. I don't know if that's incompetence, negligence, inexcusable. And who the fuck is still watching this show at this point? Given this, like, is it any surprise why the ratings felt like a rock? If it took this long to get to something where a real fan who's invested in your show finally has something to like hang on to. Bizarre. Mad. Imagine being the diehard fan who has actually been able to slog it out up to this point and then go to your friends at schools and be like, dudes, I know you guys all quit watching Enterprise like 10 episodes ago, but man, it's good now. Like, trust me, dude, it's it's good. It's back. Like. If if I was in high school or college. And I had tried giving this thing a go and I had sworn it off. And then you or anybody else came back to me I'm like, no, man, fuck off. Fuck you. I'm not going back to that shit. Like, right. absolutely not. They went out of their way to lose me. And I almost have to wonder, you know, it's something we bring up frequently. Is this objectively good or does this seem as good as as great? I give this a great rating. Spoiler alert. Did I class this as great in my five point scale? Five out of five. Because it's been so terrible up to this point, and I'm just, I'm desperate. I think it was actually great. This one was actually great. I I see where you're going, where is the low expectations making it so that anything that's competent, we're just grading to higher. I do think that everything about this episode really worked. I feel like all of the characters, even from like Phlox having one scene, right? Like his one scene is good. Trip. Even Tripp's actions and decision making ends up being very like effective within the plot and conveys things about where he's, you know, how he's grown as a character. The, these are the smallest pieces of the puzzle, you know. I this is good, and as someone who knows what happens after this, is really fun because this is the fir- you know just one more brick into the the building of the best parts of the show. Like all of this stuff continues to be relevant deep into the run. Everything that happened here, how all of these personalities interact, it continues to build and pay off later on. 
and from everything from like the history of like what's going on with the Vulcans to the inter- interactions with Andoria to the clear indication of like there is a purpose to humanity and a reason why the Federation is formed and why they formed it. They put that on the table. That's the premise of the show. Finally is here. Finally delivered. Right. Let me cut to the V'ger please Enterprise series rip. If Enterprise had been hot shit out of the gate and been able to maintain a a TNG or better episode quality through all four seasons. Let's say that every episode is able to hover somewhere around with what we just watched here. Do you think it would have made a difference or do you think that Enterprise still would have had its uh, its show canceled at season four because of the UPN collapse? Would UPN even have collapsed had Enterprise been able to bring in TNG numbers? Excellent question. Not to get too far into this particular set of weeds, because we will have the rips to discuss these things as we go through the story of the production and how things changed. And as they neared season four, they had a real sense that they were in trouble of just kind of getting the plug pulled because the merger. And the, the reason why they knew that was not just the ratings. It was the the new network that was going to be formed was not in the demo for Trek because Trek's audience is older. And you know the, the company that was going to be formed between the UPN WB merger, the CW was intentionally aligned to go for the money demo alone. And that just did not include Star Trek at that point. So it could be that uh, even a very successful, very well done, very critically uh, well-regarded enterprise still would have gotten canceled. I think more interesting is the idea of if Enterprise did well and UPN continued to do well and there was still a demand for the programming block, would it have even ended up merging? Hmm. That is, I think, more likely is if it had more success as a programming block because things like Enterprise were doing very well, then maybe it gets to season five, which is what they were trying for because you know, whatever merger ends up happening happens in the future because there's just enough money to go around that no one's going that direction yet. So speaking of uh, desolate, bombed out catastrophes, uh, we open in a sweeping nighttime shot of uh, Ukraine battlefront. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah, this is uh, what was it, Kyrgyzstan or something like that. <laughs> so some this is. Not- Earth post Terminator Judgment Day. It is rubble, rubble, and more rubble, and sparsed out among this apocalyptic wasteland is some laser beams flying around. We're in an active war zone, Joe. When they zoom in, the effect shot into an airplane hangar looking building, and that's when you find out this episode doesn't have. Not one special guest star, not two special guest stars. It's got three special guest stars. The secret special guest star being uh, giant ass Susie Plaxton. (laughs) Susie Plaxton, the statuesque baby mama of Warp, and very unfortunately, Susie Q from our days in Voyage. Yeah, I know. But hey, nice redemption arc here for Susie Plaxton to make a, a statuesque appearance. Amazon as a female Andorian named Tara, who is a subordinate to our boy Shran, 
who is also here. They are clearly locked in some kind of fight with the Vulcans on this planet. That is who their antagonist is. Things are not going super great. There's some kind of battlefield deployments occurring. And the Vulcans are are sending signals that they'd be interested in talking about a ceasefire. But Shran, he doesn't want to, to, to try and deal with the treacherous Vulcans himself. He happens to know a pink skin that is a square dealer from his prior uh, encounters with him and requests that they get Archer on the scene. Cut it's scene. A great, it's, I mean, Roll it's, the credits. Yeah, it's tight. My notes. Okay, cold open. I'm in. <laughs> like, all right. That's, I got to you do a fucking cold open right there. All right. There's there's some shit going on. Uh, there's some some above average stakes. There's there's galactic conflict. Uh, I know I'm in for some Jeffrey Combs and some Susie Plaxon unexpectedly. Let's go. Let's go. How fun. And I'm trying to think of any other examples I have there. I mean, and I hate bringing up the fucking Voyager Q episodes, but it's rare in Trek to actually get multiple well-regarded, seasoned, confident guest stars competing with each other in scenes. Yeah. You know, you can get uh you you can get a space boddicker, you know, but then he's surrounded by Johnny Nobodies. Right, right. You don't get Space Boddicker plus. You know, they'll go up against the main cast members, but by the end when we've got Suval uh with Gary Graham, right? Correct. Uh then you got uh Jeffrey Combs Trent, and Susie Jeffrey Plaxen. Combs and Susie Plaxon, like all playing off each other like and then on top of the the regular cast members, it, that's a real rare treat. And I, I don't know if there's anybody else I can think of off the top of my head who would have been a good stand-in for Susie Plax and have that physical intimidation and the charisma and that little <laughs> twinkle of uh, chaos in her eyes that could have really done it that way. Maybe. And, you know, it would have been cool to see her in makeup. Uh, I get that she's just a director, but... I actually would have been down to see Roxanne Dawson in that role. You know, they've always stayed away from using past Trek actors as extras or as guest actors. Even minus completely despicable, miserable fucking acquisition. What was that goddamn Ferengi episode where they disgraced my boy? It was acquisition when they when they dragged out Ethan Phillips. It's poor because he's played. He's that one seemed like it made sense because he had played uh, Ferengi before, but that that seemed to be the entire rationale behind that. But you don't see like uh, Robert Beltran, you know, getting to makeup to do these kind these kinds of things. They typically don't do that. They go back to the guest actor well. To find people, and like you said, they've got some people. some people who are consistent hitters. DS Nine again does this all the time, where they had this huge stable of guest actors that almost became pseudo regulars because they would show up all you know frequently, and it became an ensemble show as a consequence. Like their main cast was not nearly representative of actually who was in the show, um, and we've got that to look forward to. But here is Enterprise doing their best. To do that, which is okay. Let's bring in, 
let's bring in some dudes. Let's make this a thing, right? Like let's, let's, we gotta, we gotta get a good hit here. <laughs> we, we made yeah. it out in sick bay guys. We need to make sure this one connects. Are we have anyone still watching the show? Uh, real quick. So we got night in sick bay, uh, precious cargo. And I feel like there's another big fucking Turkey that we've dealt with recently. Like there are, there are some serious strikes against Dawn Enterprise. Dawn was terrible, too. Like, it, you know, the Mortal Kombat jokes aside, that one was dog shit. The level of uplift that the Mortal Kombat framework jokes, the service that did for Dawn, like, I'm not remembering Dawn in my head nearly as bad as I should just because a fucking lizard man spit in Trip's eyes. <laughs> right. And then Singularity was bad. The the seventh was disappointing, even with Senator Kelly. You know, like it, Marauders. Yeah. Like none yeah. of none of this went well. You know, so and many we're ba- here. We're here watching because we're having fun with it. We're we're right. going out of our way to make these somehow fun to talk about after they were not fun to watch. Go back to your earlier comment. Nobody is sitting around with their friend doing an hour discussion for every single one of these episodes. Podcasts didn't exist back then. Who the fuck stuck around till episode 15? Like, I I would love to know what the viewership numbers look. There's not even in the memory alpha for this. There isn't even a reception tab. There's a couple quotes. There's some bullshit background stuff. Nothing really juicy that I saw in there. And then normally they have like ratings, reviews and critical reception. That's not even in there. Right. It's just becoming a barely a blip on the radar at this point. So, now, so we, uh, we skip yeah, past the credits like you do. <laughs> we, and you wind up in what had to be the most weird phone call that these two men have ever had to have, which is Admiral Forrest and Captain Archer, where Forrest is like, yo, John, you will never believe what has just happened for the very first time in the lives of anyone present. The Vulcans are asking for our help, specifically your help. And then Jonathan Archer is like, well, Admiral Forrest, you're not going to believe what I have to tell you. And it's that I have broken out of whatever fever dream coma I have been trapped in for the past 15 episodes. And I have decided to actually show up for work today with my game face on and not be a entitled, petulant, whiny bitch, worst captain ever. I am not going to be the Jonathan Archer that brings my dog down to our random a- alien planet and then gets <laughs> fucking pissed when he pees on something and I have to do a penance ritual as a consequence. I'm going to be the Captain Archer that actually resembles the man you'd send out on a, the very first deep space mission because he's willing to, you know, be the intrepid Vasco da Gama of Earthlings, you know, like... I'm going to I'm going to show some of that for a change. What a what a delight. But yeah, Archer decides, OK, apparently I'm going to go be a, a diplomat. So let's get let's get on with it. Run the engines hot. We got to get ourselves to this planet. He doesn't know why he's being summoned. All he knows is that uh, Ambassador Suval, right? Yes. Ambassador Suval. Well, at this point, I think he just knows the that the Vulcans want his help. I don't think he knows it's Saval, or at least I don't think it's ever mentioned that like Saval asked for him. They're like, Hey, we got to go. And it's exactly what you said. 
they are running the engines hot, hot enough to the point where there's a buy. I would say if there is a B plot here, it's that trips worried. The engines are going to get fucked up. Yeah. Uh, We're we're running on the red line here, guys. (laughs) Yeah. We're we're running at 120 and the snap back from to Paul is like, well, they're rated to run 130. So chill out. I like the edge that to Paul is is clearly on through this entire episode. This is a big deal to the Vulcans. They don't really call it out, but it's certainly present in my memory. As she goes through, she's going to come under some pretty heavy criticism by some Vulcan muckety mucks. And this is hot on the heels of her just being diagnosed as like uh, having Vulcan AIDS, basically not even just Vulcan AIDS, but being like, Vulcan second class citizen through and through like she's already on thin ice after the her speaking out against the high council, which does get brought up in this. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I really feel like if this episode missed anything, it was that the her new diseased status and being well, I guess it'd be poor form to to throw the mind meld that she was not a willing participant in in her face, but that she's not dunked on at all for being sick and like well though i guess was it was it was it clear that they that information was transmitted to, to the high command because the doctor had it he had the authority to pull her card but it never said like yeah we told everybody that you have it so i don't know if that has maybe not actually widely known i have to go back and listen to our episode to see if we if I we think you got to go back not. and watch the actual episode because we didn't discuss the end yeah. ramifications of that at all. Yeah. Um, but let us presume but, for a moment, perhaps the reason why Saval does not bring it up is that he does not personally know. That would be a big gold star uh, in the book of that Vulcan regent doctor who was quite the bitch, the, the evil bitch. But. Yeah, I think it's possible if if they fully endorse the fact that she had been victimized, then, yeah, maybe spreading around her problems would be considered dirty. Let's assume it's a secret still and that that's a plausible reason why it was not discussed further until it is brought up again. We will assume that it is not common knowledge. So they burn the candle at both ends to get Enterprise there as fast as possible. And it turns out that it's a hurry up and wait scenario. Vulcans are leaving the humans hanging. Trips complaining that he almost blew the warp core out to get there, uh, only to be told to wait. And eventually, uh, Suval comes over to Enterprise, right? In the meantime, Archer does get the brief so that, you know, the audience has context, which is this is all a, a beef over a planet that was a class D and therefore uninhabitable. Uh, moon-sized planet that the Andorians elected to put a colony on after Terraform. terraforming it to make it fit for life. And the Vulcans took exception to this act because it was a planet strategically located near Vulcan itself. So they felt like it was just something they did so they could have a military base nearby. And it did not end up a fun negotiation. In the end... There was a deal that was struck, it says in 2097. So it's been this way since about 50, 60 years. 2097 is only a couple of years from now. 
And it's true. And we might live that long. Yeah, probably not. And so the while Vul- the so-called World War III was raging on Earth, <laughs> a real war of death and loss was actually taking place on uh, whatever and, fucking planet this was. And most importantly, the Vulcans end up forcing the Andorians off. They, they, they just shipped them in like refugee ships and like get the fuck off this planet. And the, so the, the, it did not end with honor for the Andorians. And as we have seen in trans other two appearances, he likes to start shit with the, with the Vulcans. He's a big, he's a big proponent of starting shit with the Vulcans. Apparently when the Andorian Imperial council wants to send someone to uh, kick sand in their eye, they send fucking Shran. And so that time is that that clock has struck twelve once more, and mm-hmm. here's Shran with a bunch of dudes trying to hold it down in this old colony that's been abandoned for decades. So again, the, the political situation here: Vulcan declared that their territory, right? Correct, but did not in, inhabit it. And then the Andorians showed up, terraformed it, and declared it their territory. Went out of their way to terraform an inhospitable planet, um, and. By the way, to Paul phrases it, the proximity to Vulcan is like Earth to Pluto, right? That's what that's the the comparison she draws. Like, what would you feel like if another species created a a colony on Pluto? I don't think they ever really give the Andorians a solid foot to stand on in terms of why they did actually establish a colony on an inhospitable planet. It's like to terraform it, like had they said, listen, there is great mining opportunity here for an energy source that we use that the Vulcans ignore. Like, I think that would have lent a lot of credibility to not painting Andorians in the antagonistic light that they kind of look like in this background story. They rely a little bit too much on the, the Vulcans forced us off and were mean about it as the, as like making the Andorians look okay. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's not doing enough work. Like there had to be some other reason why they did this other than clear military advantage yeah. for it not to be interpreted that way, which quick exchange per- is what I need. There is like, yeah. we came here because of the mining opportunity that you ignored and we need that energy source. And then Suval could have been like, you know, there were dozens of planets that would have been easier to colonize. You picked this one because of military. Then it becomes strategy. ambiguous, right? You don't want a solid answer one way or another. You just right. want the audience to be like, oh, okay. Slippery so there's a reason- slopes. Yeah, there's this reasonable line, and then there's the 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 reason why it could be interpreted differently. That that's what you want to set up. And is when Saval and his dude, who's just a guy, he's Vulcan guy, um, Vulcan Death Stare. When they show up, that's when Archer learns it is specifically Shran that is on the surface that has called for him. And so he's, he's like, Oh, okay. I get, I get it now. I get it now. This guy and I have had a couple run-ins in the past and, and uh, I can see why my name, my name has been picked out of this particular hat. Cause Saval is like, I didn't want you here. He's very antagonistic. Like you are not adding to this circumstance. I would prefer you be far, far away, but apparently this guy wants you to be the mediator, the, the mediator. So it's going to be you. I like how Archer walks away from the table as Suval's laying cards on it. And he gets that like shitty looking. It's just like, Oh, I have the upper hand here. I'm going to rub my butt in his face. Just uh, a bit like, and in an appropriate way though, like it's not petulant. It's 
I'm not like when he insists on on Vulcan Deathstare going down with him, he doesn't say, No, I don't want your Vulcan with me. I don't want to do things because my dad died and I want to do that thing. Like it's none of that. It's instead, I'm not going to do that because clearly uh, Shran doesn't trust Vulcans. But if you really want me to take a Vulcan, I'm going to take the one that he knows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's done him a solid because that's how I'm going to maintain trust with him because I'm a diplomat right now. It's like, and also oh, smart. You're not my boss. I'm here to be an impartial mediator. I'm not taking my orders from you. And uh, we're going to try and do this thing by the book. This is the most generous portrayal of. We were just talking the other day, like. What is the right archer? Which how should archer be acting? What archer? What? Who is Enterprise Archer supposed to be? And it's this guy here. This is the first time I can give you a clear answer. Like, this is the guy that they have needed in this show the entire fucking time. This is the guy who finally showed up for work. Yeah. Uh, So they're getting ready to go down. And they're loading up into the shuttlecraft. It's going to be T'Pol. It's going to be Archer. And Trip is seeing them off on their way down. And he's like, hey, you know, I don't know about this. And there's a really good speech in there. No, no, I'm sorry. Uh, It's they're getting ready to go down. But Archer has to get a chemical treatment because it's an inhospitable climate. Vulcans are immune to it. Yeah, that's why Phlox gets to get a scene in here where he's like, "Uh, Captain, I don't know if you know this, but uh, I was in the military as a medic and battlefields are unpredictable places where one should not improvise. <laughs> like they can be chaotic and deadly and you should be care very careful. Which especially if there's a ceasefire. Like that's when it's the most dangerous. It's all this tension. And it's like a great thing for Flocks to put in. You know, again, you know, a little bit of his background. He's seen some things. He's got, you know, his his serenity comes from acceptance rather than naivety, which I think is an important part of his character. And he, he imparts wisdom to, to his captain to say, be very fucking careful about what you're about to go do. It can break bad very quick. I don't know if it's his conversation with Phlox or if it's a conversation with Trip. But he busts out this line and he's like, you know, maybe we're not just out here to chart stars and, and comets. Maybe humanity is out here to pr- maybe we're out here to prove that humans are ready to join a bigger galactic community. And basically he starts he says to, to flux. Yeah. unfold the constitution of the Federation on the floor. And like, I become physically excited. Like, <laughs> yes, yeah. yes, this, this is, yeah. this is what we're here for. It's about fucking time. Like, this is the first time that we have really directly started talking about the United Federation of planets. And it's it's like, why are humans like this is the story that Enterprise can tell, right? Like humans are clearly the first among equals of the Federation. They are technologically inferior. But for whatever reason, they are considered the leaders of the Federation, right? They are. They absolutely are. They're portrayed that way. They're positioned that way. They make up the majority of Starfleet, which is the most visible expression of the Federation. And there's a lot of planets and humans clearly treat everyone, you know, with the respect that being part of the same 
organization brings, but they are the ones running the show. And there's a reason for that, right? Like there's this, they decide there's a story reason for this. And this is the very first seed that gets planted as to why. That's my big regret. Having watched this and knowing that we're only going to get four episodes. Like, will we be there for the actual foundation of the Federation? Or four seasons, you mean? Yeah. So I don't want to spoil too much, but I feel like the show, when it chooses its endpoint, chooses it quite well for this. Like, this story becomes the story in season four, right? Like this right here, this is what season four is, which is why it's amazing. And when they finally bring this arc to an end, because they knew the end was coming. Mm Mm-hmm. They knew when they were getting into producing season four, they're like, this could just be it. They want to get to five, but they know what's, what's, what's going to, going to happen. And it could be that they just get, they're just get told that there's going to be no more after this. And so when they made season four, they created an ending that makes a perfect sense for like, you get to see clearly where things are going from this point forward. Then they do one more episode that's real dog shit, famously so, and we'll obviously have a you great said time. Season talking. five was supposed to be the Romulan War, and I suppose the Federation would always already have to be established. Well, no. So the lore, the lore of Star Trek is the the Romulan War causes the Federation to be formed, hmm. and that's why they wanted to end there. Which was they set up all of these pieces in season four, and then you have season five, which is the final like confrontation that leads all of these races to determine that they must in fact form this compact and, and build a better future for the galaxy together. It it made a lot of sense when you start to see where they were going, but they knew they weren't going to get there. So they found a different ending end spot within that timeline without changing anything. That's like, yeah, this is perfect. You can just stop here and I don't need to see anything else. I wonder if anybody was like, man, too bad we wasted all that time in season one and two fucking around. I mean, especially season two, like a lot of the season one, like fucking around makes sense because it's your first fucking season. Sure. And then season three, like, I feel like they, that one, they also want to mulligan a little bit because they went too far into the serialization at a certain point where the whole season's one story arc, right? Like, it's a lot to, and it'll be fun for us to review because we'll be consuming it in a way that no one else got to. Yeah. But like the season four, they got to the sweet spot, which was do these three episode arcs one after another with like one episode breaks in between as a way to tell larger stories without it making it so that people can't follow the fuck is going on. If they just like randomly showed up in the middle of the season and it really, it works. It works a lot, really well, but we're talking, we're talking way into our futures, Peter. Let's talk <laughs> about right more season poo to get through. We do. Uh, so, Archer sees a bigger picture. Archer understands the stakes and he sees a potential payoff. And uh, this is a purpose, which is very important. There's a, there's a gold ring to grab here and Archer is going to go after it. So he gets in the shuttle class. They fly down. He catches a little bit of flack from, uh, to Paul, who we have already mentioned is very on edge. She's like, hey, did you look at the material I sent you? And he's like, yeah, I glanced at it. And she's like, this is a big fucking deal. There's a lot of hurt asses about what's going on here. This is a no-win situation. Everybody is very unhappy. Archer, you know, you need to Archer take this bites serious. back the right way to say, I was up till 2 o'clock in the morning. Reading what yeah, she said. It's a 1,200-page document. Yeah. 
I, I only have so much time. <laughs> like I got through as much as I could before we had to, to, to go for this. So we went for it, you know, Relax. they get down, they land, they're out, they're exploring. The Andorians have a jamming signal. So no communication from surface to planet or to orbit. And uh, even guidance systems don't work. They have landing coordinates. They're going in effectively blind. They land, they come out, they're like, hey, what's up? And then the Andorians do what they do best. And that's uh, pop out of the side hatch with guns drawn. (laughs) Yes. So Susie Plaxton and friends uh, corral all of them. And uh, Archer is like, no, no, this Vulcan's great. You know, did did a solid for for your boss. So why don't we go talk to him? And they have the first little negotiation, which is no. Oh, hold on, even before that, we we get a return of the 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 Andorian black bag. Andorians love putting black hoods <laughs> on people. They have a they fetish. Got a little. Hey. It doesn't directly tie into Archer's fetish of getting beaten, but I would say that between the Andorians tight black outfits and Archer's love of getting punched in the mouth. We've got a real S and M vibe going here, right? Yeah. Especially like, you know, Susie Plaxton being the statuesque Amazonian that she is looks mighty fine. in these Andorian battle garb. It's like you're going to go battle in an S and M club. The amount of skull cap they had to put on to contain all of her hair. Like her head looks like a pumpkin. It's very off putting. (laughs) It's a lot, but like the rest is like, geez. Okay. Yeah, sure is. They got you in that. All right. (laughs) Yep. So So, they pull him off to go visit uh, old Shran for a nice little reunion there. I like the, the, the tension between him and Shran and between Archer and Shran in that they know each other. So they know they're like, not going to stone cold fuck each other, but they're also not you know this is tense this is a weird situation you know archer's there because shran has put him in the middle of it and they're both aware of that and you know maybe there's a bit of shran trying to give archer a chance to uplift humanity's position in this like he's kind of probably aware of like this is a big deal for you the vulcans the vulcans sent you down here this is this is a big deal so we you know well, let's let's talk. Let's deal. You know, you, you owe me for putting you in this position a little bit because you're going to use it. Right. And the same way that Archer shot down. Uh, Suval's attempt to puppet him. Yeah. Uh, Shran's like, uh, I want base, you know, take my message to the Vulcans. I want a full withdrawal and I want rights to this area. I want, want reparations. Pony. Yeah. <laughs> I want a fucking cherry Sunday. Uh, with sprinkles on top and Archer's like, this is bullshit. You know, you know, this is unattainable. I'm not going to waste my fucking time bringing this ridiculous shit over there because you know what the results are going to be. We need to do this a different way. We need to, the old ways have not worked. They're not going to work this time. Uh, let's, let's try something constructive and Shran settles on. I'm willing to talk. But I want to talk here on my terms, and I want Suval to come in person as a show of good faith. I really expect, and obviously it's clear why they don't, but I was surprised that they didn't elect to have these conversations on Enterprise's neutral ground. And they ultimately do at the end. Spoiler. Yes. 
but it makes sense that it occurs at that point because of the rest of the episode. But yeah, the, the, the pitch Archer makes is tell you what I'll make, I'll get Saval to come down to talk to you, but you need to give me one of your three hostages to demonstrate good faith. He asks, you know, he over asks and then, you know, negotiates to one in the most telegraphed, you know, sort of three, no two, no one sort of like back and forth moment. But it does the job, which is you need to give me something to go back to my ship to tell Saval, this is what it's going to take to solve this We're problem. We're all being reasonable now. Like, and if you do that, then that gives me the credibility necessary to go to him to say he's got to, right? So they fly back up with a Vulcan prisoner. Um, Archer's like, hey, here's what we need to do. Saval box at it. And eventually Archer is able to convince him like, you know, you keep saying it's the Andorians that are being unreasonable, but here you are unwilling to even engage in direct dialogue. Put up or shut up. And Saval surprisingly uh, acquiesces and agrees to go down to the surface. If, if there is a, a, a bit of damage to the armor of this episode, it is when they cut back to the surface and have a scene between Susie Blackston and, and Tran. He's like, you know, setting up f- to receive them. And she is clearly resistant to peace. And so when the inevitable plot twist happens, it's like, gosh, I wonder who amongst these Andorians could possibly be the leader of the faction that is opposed to Shran wanting to have a negotiated settlement? I don't know. Could it be the giant woman who I've seen before? <laughs> like, well, could that be it? I, I give the episode more credit. Now I'll, I'll get into that later. I was certainly hoping I was like, I saw the breadcrumbs. And I'm like, man, they're leading me to believe that she is going to be the Judas of this group and and stab Shran in the back and try to undermine him. I hope she does. I always like an irredeemable, attractive villainess. <laughs> it's true, especially the heavy eyebrows. It's, it's a big thing here. We'll see what happens. Uh, they get in the shuttle. They fly down. Now. We just what's our it was a Mortal Kombat episode, right? Just came out and I saw some feedback, some people talking. I was actually uh, uh, to hack a Jack and he oh, yes. challenged Dr. Me, Jack. Yeah. Challenged me about how many doors there were on the shuttles because I had criticized that these fucking shuttle pods are ridiculous. They've got two side doors in this fucking rear hatch. And like, why would you bother having a hatch that you have to walk down a ladder to get into if you've got side doors? Right. That was the big criticism from. Dawn. Then he just pulled it right out like he had it in a folder ready to just. He's like, well, you need to have that nose hatch that flips up so you could dock. And I'm like, I don't think that's right because there's a tube that extends. I don't I don't I don't think that's that's where the the tube is. So I sat there crawling through. Dawn trying to find as many good camera angles I could. And I even went back into uh, what was the spider people fight or flight right yes where they yes they mm-hmm. show the 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 shuttle pod docking with the spider web ship and the mm-hmm. tube coming out i had to i spent a lot of time scrubbing through footage to try and find those screenshots supporting the fact that there's like <laughs> in fact four different ways to get there's the two side doors there's a 
Then comes this episode, which is basically shuttle porn. You see so much of the exterior of the shuttle during this flight with Suval because they crash and they're flying and there's weapons fire from the surface. It dings the shuttlecraft. It crash lands. You get all these great top down shots. You see the docking hatch. You see the flip up nose cone. You see the side doors. It's everything I could have asked for. I To me, it was very satisfying seeing that given how hard I had to look for the other stuff. But yes, these shuttlecraft are ridiculous. Way too many doors. Way too many seals. I was right. Jack was wrong. Jack said that it was, and you you wanted this guy to be the judge on us to see how when you know our Chadish, yes, yeah, to to be able to sacrifice us to the fucking intro when we were wrong on things. I think Jack should have to watch the intro for him being wrong about where okay. that docking. Okay, I, I, you know what? I can go for that, Jack. You, you know, you know what you must do. Mm-hmm. You want evidence that uh, you've paid the penance. <laughs> For your for your for your failures. I mean, I need pictures of your face where you tried to claw your own eyes out from watching the intro because you didn't know where the docking hatch was on the show. You're an MD man. You can treat your own <laughs> wounds. You know, yeah, it's Just like the hydrogen peroxide on hand yeah, and, and everything. I, try, I believe in your ability to, to recover. So they get gunned down flying in. Um, I. Suval, I think, comes off as maybe the most interesting character in this episode. Uh, yeah, we you get, get to know lot, a lot more about him. Yeah. A lot of good ups, uh, back. Suval up to this point has been this monolithic prick that has only been there to cock block and party poop. Yeah, he, he's, he's a representation of Vulcan authority that is seen as the bad guy as far as Archer's interpretation of him is. And this is the first time where he expresses himself on his own terms. As you get to know something about his background about how he came to be, how old he is, which is considerable. And obviously at the end, a noticeable change in opinion that he is not monolithic. He's not unreasonable, which is important as well. Well, it's all front loaded too, because the initial agreement to go down to the surface into a, for all intents and purposes, active war zone Part of me wants to say he caved a little too easy in agreeing to Archer's terms to go down in these rickety ass. I can only assume that the Vulcan shuttles are way better than Enterprise's shuttle pod. You would have to assume all their stuff is better than Vulcan, than human stuff. So the top dog agreeing to fly down to the surface in uh, a hoopty, an ice cream truck, basically. <laughs> yes. Pretty ballsy. But at the same time, I think that it's a calculated decision. And ultimately, this guy wants there to be some sort of progress. And he's willing to take this risk, right? Right. Because he's a diplomat. He is an ambassador. This is his job. And I think that plays in well to Fallen Heroes, which was, um, what's this dude's name? Chris Black? Yeah. Which was another episode with a Vulcan ambassador. Who's willing to ride or die. Right. So that's an interesting parallel between these is that, yeah, these guys, you know, they get this heroic status, but it's kind of deserved. You know, these yeah, are they gotta put it on the line. They got to Like, think back to when uh, it was Sarek on TNG, right? The Sarek episode where he's at the end of his ability to function, but he is going to do everything in his power to ensure he can deliver one more W for the diplomatic service in the galaxy up. And if that means he's got to 
shoulder the burden of a neuro, you know, a, a degenerative neurological disease, he's going to do it. And then, you know, obviously the story is amazing because Picard ends up taking on a lot of that trauma for himself so that Saval can complete that mission, but he's still there to do it because Sarek is a diplomat. He's an ambassador. He's ride or die. Like this is literally to the very end. Followed on to Spock, another hero who goes balls deep in trying to reunify the, the Vulcan uh, Romulan rift in was it, was that called reunification? Yeah, one reunification one and two. So ambassador kind of seems like a uh not a hard ass title. I think maybe they should have rebranded ambassador to something a little bit more imperious. Well, uh it, it makes sense though that the Vulcans would just merely call it an ambassador. I know. But that but it, for, but it culturally like, it means something more than it does to, you know, a political appointment that it is for humans. They could have called it Avatar or something. I I don't know. Uh, They get shot down. They crash land. Archer keeps it together. And Saval's like, well, that did not work out. Uh, Do you see now who you're dealing with? Like, this is why we don't engage on these terms. Thanks for trying. Now it's time to get the fuck out of here before we get zapped. And then Archer's like, no, we're going to push forward and and, and I'm going to meet this guy. I don't believe it was on his order that we were shot down. I think there's still a chance to salvage this. And then it's kind of like Saval's like, Oh, okay. I guess I'll go along with you after all, instead of being like, no dude, you're fucking wrong. And like enough's enough. We're going to split here. He delivers a great line that helps sell it for me, which is Shran is the kind of man who could not sleep because he thought he owed me something. He is not shooting us down. You know, like that, that worked super well for me to like understand how that could have spoken to Saval, right? Like that's the language Saval can understand, which is like, I, I know who this guy is. I'm not saying we're boys. I'm not saying we're friends. I'm saying this is a man who is so obsessed with his honor that the fact that he owed me a debt made it so he he could not sleep. Yeah. But Saval thinks that Archer's a fucking idiot though. Like by the end. Suval's got, and again, tying back into fallen heroes, there is this, this banding ability that the Vulcans seem to have where if like, I'm a Vulcan and you're a Vulcan and you tell me, Hey, we're going to trust guy three. I assimilate your trust for that person very easily. Right. Right. Vulcan to Vulcan. Uh, advice goes a long way. We had it in Fallen Hero. We're going to get it here once uh, T'Pol weighs in on her true feelings about archers, but that didn't happen quite yet. At this point in the episode, I think that there's a couple different ways that the plot could genuinely work out because we've had some good fake outs, specifically back on Catwalk, where we thought the Ponytail Gang was going to be the crooks and really, uh, you know, they introduced the space fascists who turned out to, in fact, be, you know, pretty solid Nazis. I want to jump back to Catwalk real quick, too. We didn't give them props then, but like those uh, those space Nazis, like. What a rare showing for the show to be able to, like, portray uh, adept. Functional villains that you did not want to relate with. 
Yeah, like the the captain in particular, I think we called out for special attention of like this dude seems like a real evil man who's also smart. <laughs> like, yeah, he but it's not, like it's like it, it's he not loses, like Colonel. He, he doesn't lose because he fucks up. He loses because he got beat. Different. But I'm just story. saying, like, unlike current. Grot and some of these other, you know, quote unquote bad guys. It's not like, oh, Archer's being unreasonable and not working. Like, oh, no, yeah, th- this dude said, like, we're impounding your shit and you're going to be fucking executed for letting people on your ship under a fucking political asylum or whatever. Anyways, uh, I'm thinking, okay, well, they've got a couple of play out or uh, fake outs up their sleeve at this point. I think there's a 50 50 chance that just as easily as it was legitimately, um, and Dorian's that shot him down, probably under Susie Plaxton's orders, that it could have been uh, the Vulcan Death Star evil captain or some other member of the the Vulcan group that doesn't want peace either, and you know right. would dare to shoot him down. Which Real I guess Star would Trek. go Real Star Trek Six situation potentially. R.I.P. Right, uh, Christy Alley. Yeah, well, uh, R.I.P. Christy Alley, but she wasn't in that. Uh, and then Christopher Plummer died too, somewhat recently, if I recall. So mm. we've we, we've lost some people from that from that movie. Yeah, but I think both of these are legit, and I think they do a good job holding up the element of suspense uh, for as long as they do. But Archer, again, actually being a competent uh, captain, goes off does some quick recon trying to figure things out. And it's at this point that we are able to see Suval drop his shields and and jumping back into our vampire days. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially playing Tremere, like. There was the image that you would project to outsiders, but as soon as you were around your own kind, then you become a different person. Yeah. It, for people who don't know, when we when we did our LARP thing, the. the the group that our characters, Peter and I's characters were aligned in were a bunch of insular vampire wizards with a, a real shall cool we say group. unrelentingly fierce bureaucracy and internal politics. And what he's describing is the need to present one's way when you're hanging out with everyone else. And when it's time to bring knives out because you're in your internal meetings. Well, uh, which by the way, Peter and Peter and I were really fucking good at that. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we became friends. <laughs> Very modest. Uh, no, no, no. Not the knives coming out, but like the the act gets dropped a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Archer runs off and Saval like kind of turns and like drops a lot of the hard assness. And he's like, come on to Paul. What are you doing? You were one. You were one of my best. And had you stayed on the enclave on Earth, you probably would have your own diplomatic assignment by now. Like you're really doing yourself a disservice. I had such high hopes for you. Uh, you know, you you could have been way ahead of the game. And she's like, I know. Uh, but what I think we're doing here is worth it. I think that there's value that you're still not realizing about the humans. Uh, I think that there is a lot more here for us all to learn. And I think this all kind of starts off with her saying something and Suval commenting that she's picked up a human accent. Yeah, that her in in her use of the Vulcan language. She now has a human accent. And I really enjoy the the candor between them. And again, in establishing Suval as a person and not just a figure. 
it, it's it's interesting to see him talk with his guard down a little bit. We also find out very quickly Saval knows his way around this place. He was part of the initial occupational force as part of Vulcan intelligence, I believe. Yeah, a century prior. Is what he says. So this dude's got a lot of skin in the game as to what's going to happen on the planet here. And I think it's not a stretch to say that, like, he's taken things personal. While things are going on on the planet, we do have a bit of space action, which is there is a ticking clock element because a bunch of Andorian battlecruisers are going to show up. And of course, there's already Vulcan ships on the scene. And that inevitably would put them in conflict with each other in one way or another, because those ships would try to resupply the troops and then they try and stop. So that will definitely have this breakout break out into something resembling general warfare, which Archer is trying everything in his power to stop. So Trip, who is presently in command of Enterprise, Decides once this ticking clock has has wound down to the spot where they're about to meet is like the only way forward is for me to literally put the ship between all of these ships that can blow us up and say, nah, I'm going to have one hand on your forehead. I'm going to have one hand on your forehead and be like, you're not fighting right now. And I'm just going to bank on the fact that none of you want to cause me as a casualty <laughs> to make this work. And it's actually really good on Trip's part because... We've seen him struggle with command before this. He's got all the confidence. He's like red alert, lock the phasers. We're committing to the bit immediately. Like there's no question we're doing this. Like this is what the captain wants because what the captain's going to get and we're going to handle it. Here's what's absent. He is not an emotional wreck. Yeah. He's the last time competently dealt with this was shadows of Pajem. And him getting real flustered and emotional and falling apart as the Vulcan commanders were like, no, we're not going to involve you. Because this is basically the same thing, right? Uh, right. The captain goes down to the surface of an Andorian controlled area. They lose track of it. And the Vulcans come along and say, uh, we're the adults. You're going to sit at the children's table and we're going to take care of it. And last time, you know, he's like tripping over himself, getting flustered, lying this. And this time it's that stone cold confidence to the point where. He starts writing a book that is going to become the Picard playbook later in TNG. Like this is peak Picard right here, right? Yeah. I'm going to endanger everybody in the name of peace. And I'm going to go to uh, diplomatic great heights to insert ourselves into situations. So every I'm going to risk our lives so everybody can live. Uh, Great. Trip gets A plus for everything that he's doing up here. Cut back down to the surface. Uh, somewhere in there, there's a good uh, there's a good joke about Vulcan's ears being pointy. Suval calling it out once Archer's gone again. Like, why do they keep bringing up our ears? I don't know. I think they're envious. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. There's reinforcements. Yeah, the Andorians spring a trap on Archer, T'Pol, and Suval. Such that uh, Archer's plan is, I'm going to give Saval my gun. I am then going to sneak around the back, and I'm going to get the quick time event where I get to do either lethal takedown or mm-hmm. or I get to do uh, non-lethal takedown by sneaking up and hit Q or V, you know, or whatever. And and uh, I'm going to hit I'm going to hit Q because I'm trying to keep my my non-kill streak for the achievement alive on this playthrough. Yeah. 
and take the, these guys down. Very merciful, solid snake archer. It was doing hey, some tactical espionage. <laughs> tactical punch to the face. There's scenes in here with Shran where he is informed that the shuttle went down. And this is an opportunity for the episode to reinforce that Shran is a good guy. Shran did not order this. Uh, again, we're still, you know, is it Vulcan? Is it a Vulcan plot uh, to, you know, to, yeah. to, to Who, espionage, just whatever. Unfortunately, as Shran's reinforcing to uh, Tara slash Susie Plaxton, like, you know, make sure he gets here safe. She's like, you can count on me, boss. And he walks away and then they fucking lay the sinister music on her. I'm like, excellent. She is evil. <laughs> so <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Yeah. As, uh, as Archer's uh, group gets pinned down by some fire and Archer sneaks off to go solid snake it. I was not surprised to actually see Andorians shooting Andorian guns and not Vulcans shooting Andorian guns. I'm like, good. It's there. There's going to be a Susie Plaxton fight here. I'm very happy. He knocks him out. He gets up higher to the sniper perch where we've got Susie Plaxton shooting from a pretty good advantage point with a pistol, which is ridiculous. But he's got the gun on her. He goes, you know, put your hands up. The jig is up. Uh, I don't know how these guns work or if this even has a stun setting, but, uh, you know, you're done. And she's like, oh, we don't have stun settings on our guns. I guess you got me. Why are you doing it? Why would you do this? And we get the standard, you know, some of us want to fight for it kind of response, right? Like some of us, some of us want to like to throw hands. So we're going to throw hands. And I don't like the trans getting, you know, all responsible and his desire to talk things through. Fuck that classic Star Trek. I mean, yeah. how many episodes of TNG and whatever has there been? The person who is not willing to let bygones be bygones and perpetuate the centuries old fight. Yeah, because they like it. It's comfortable. It's warm. It's where they like to live. They like to live throwing hands with the Vulcans, and that's what they want to get down to. Now, there TNG, a- do you remember the episode where there was the girl that was genetically engineered to like kill everybody from that one line and she never aged or whatever? I forget this one. Well, whatever. They they stun her a few times. Like normally in TNG, when you find like, especially if it's a woman who's like the the remnant of the old guard that doesn't want to let bygones be bygones. Worst case scenario, they get stunned and put in their place. Susie Plaxton ain't going down like that, though. No, no. Archer unfortunately steps into a little sinkhole in the set, and this allows it causes him to wildly throw his gun away as he stumbles. <laughs> like yeah. <laughs> just like flees from his hands, he, which means he rolls a one. That's that's what that yeah. is. That's a one Crit- critical botch on keeping a handle on the old gat. And that leads us to a fight scene, which the, the I will. I mean, it's fu- it's a fun little fight scene. There's some like, you know, very like kinetic things that they do. They go back and forth. I actually could have gone with Archer getting his ass beat a little bit more of all the scenes where Archer should get manhandled, punched in the mouth and really take us a, a solid loss. Like this is it. Everything that we've seen about the Andorians, specifically this Imperial guard is that these are well-seasoned badasses who do this shit every day. Uh, Archer holding his own seems a little silly to me. Uh, and I think there would have been some good head injuries for him to have. Unfortunately, it doesn't take that big of a loss. He's not able to get fully erect. <laughs> Uh, by the beating 
no, no, not a lot, not a lot, not a lot of blows to the forehead. It's no. just no. Susie Plaxton finishes him off with uh, that terrible swinging jump kick that the little girl does in the Lost World, where she kicks the raptor out of the window. Yeah, it's like some real Jim Cotta shit. You know, <laughs> it's not. She it does kicks not him fit. down a hole. He crawls up, uh, and wouldn't you know it? That's the exact moment where everybody else shows up. Shran shows up with his Imperial Guard, guns out. Suval comes up with uh, T'Pol, and this is going to be the moment of reckoning. And it turns into a nice game of he said, she said, with Susie Plaxton saying. Basically, Susie Plaxton, what do you think? I'd betray you. What do you mean? I've served you for years. And Archer is like, listen, I told you I was going to bring Suval to you. Do you think, like, I shot him with an Antorian weapon? Like, use your brain, bud. Use that. Use your noggin. Put it together here. You know exactly what went down. We tried to bring him. We got shot down. He got shot. I had to get into a fight with your lieutenant. There was the Jim Cotta moment. <laughs> I got a nosebleed because I got a little bit of a head wound, but not enough that it, you know, like, that I need I to excuse her, myself. I me in the face. She'd only punch me in the stomach. I'm only like half hard. I'm blue balling hard here. Listen, man, I got real sacrifice and woe. You know, we're... I, Nobody's coming out of this thing happy. And, uh, and Tran is is colored as reasonable. He puts it together and is like, I'm disappointed in you. Arrest her. And then why don't we why don't we square this up? You know, I would have liked to see the other guards betray him as well and throw an allegiance with her and have like a little bit more gunfight where. I don't no, know. I guess they kind of played that card back yeah. on Shadows of Pajem where uh, this is enough jumped in front of it. It's not what the episode's about. They had a little bit of this, but like the point here is we we are furthering the understanding of Andorians and Vulcans and their conflict. We're showing Shran as someone who wants to start shit, but also is willing to be reasonable. We see Saval as being willing to, to go in on, on whatever's necessary to make the deal. We see Archer coming through and being able to broker that and, and weave between both worlds. We've accomplished all of that. We, we don't need to... We get what happened here. We've delivered on the premise. Now we can have the payoff, you know? And they do. They, they, Trip gets one more moment of glory where he's willing to like commit to his bit, like open fire, <laughs> like open fire on the Vulcan vessels that are moving towards the, sh- I wasn't fucking around. And then he gets a message from Archer and be like, no, don't, don't do that. But it's they're They're coming down because they've been asked to. I did like the smirk on Reed's face when uh trip calls for the tactical alert. Yeah. He's like, oh, that shit I did when I was being super bitchy. You got it, boss. <laughs> weird. Weird. <laughs> Here comes the OCD alert. They all fly up. They're up in the conference room. Uh, it, the scene opens with uh, Shran rejecting everything and being clearly pissed off with with what's been put on the table. Uh, Saval countering that he's not really happy either. Archer drops the classic line on that, you know, a good compromise is one where nobody leaves the negotiations happy. Yeah. Mutual dissatisfaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they uh, they push forward. 
Yeah, there, there's going to be more negotiations. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the first step. There's the the situation is unresolved, but it will be now continued to be spoken of, which is probably what they're intending, which was push their shit in a little bit and let's get this back on the table. Shran uh, offers to toast to his uh, dissatisfaction, his mutual dissatisfaction. I like uh, Suval's like, you know, Vulcans don't drink, but he quickly reads the room and goes, but in this case, I think it's warranted. The four of them share a drink. Archer seems pretty happy with whatever he's drinking on his way out. Suval throws a little backhanded compliment. You know, Archer, you've been. How do you put it? Less than medicine. Yeah, your presence hasn't been less than meddlesome. It was like the most backhanded compliment he could provide, but it was definitely still something he did specifically to compliment him, which was, you know, just a just turning around a little bit on you here, bud. You did pretty good. Don't like you. He says that like I think he likes you. Nah, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> like, That's my favorite line of the whole thing. Yeah. Is he he takes off Shran and goes, Oh, I think he likes you, pink skin. And then Archer's like, well, I wouldn't go that far. And I was like, man, that's there wasn't a cheesy line that made me cringe. Like everything was good beginning to end. This is the highest concentration of good that I've seen out of Enterprise. And it was really good as a result. It was. It was genuinely good because of the nature of the content, because of the quality of what it allowed the invested viewer to understand about the Alpha Quadrant about these species that we know are big deals that become part of the Federation and what, what are humans up to here? What, what role do they have to play here? And what, what is the ideal version of Archer? What is the ideal version of T'Pol? What is the ideal version of Trip? Oh, well, let's just see all of that, right? Like, let's just see them. We did. We got to see all of that and it was awesome. I liked it. Yep. Let's see if they can keep up uh, a good thing. Next episode we're moving into is going to be season two, episode 16, Future Tense. There is some burned up looking shuttlecraft. Enterprise finds a small craft, apparently from the future, adrift in space. And both the Suluban and the mysterious Tholians are intent on retrieving it. Hey, did you have fun with this premise that you came to Enterprise for? Well, too bad. Here's some more bullshit from the temporal Cold War. So the temporal Cold War continues to be quite a drag on the show, but I will say that this episode individually represents one of the more interesting Star Trek sci-fi elements of it. Mm, we're going is, French, huh? It, it's interesting. There's very in, there's a very interesting thing that this this plot is going to center around and what it does and how they decide to portray that within the episode that provides this specific temporal cold war installment as particularly like fun to watch. So uh, we'll see if that holds up. That's what my memory, you know, is, is telling me. So we'll, we'll find out together here shortly. Well, I'm riding high. I hope it continues on uh, as we continue trekking through season two. I agree, sir. And we will be here with all of you next week for that trek. See you then. 